Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through to 23. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God, to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones, and for all our substance. For I was ashamed to require the king, a band of soldiers and horsemen, to help us against the enemy in the way. Because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So we fasted and besought our God for this. And he was entreated of us. Ezra here is describing the history of his return from the captivity in Babylon. God has delivered them, turned again their captivity, and the exiles are about to make their return. And in anticipation of that long journey, Ezra here calls a fast, a special fast. I proclaimed a fast there. So they're still in Babylon, but they're going to make their journey home. Now, to proclaim a fast, that's something that's official. It's been decided and announced. And Ezra and the elders, they are no doubt the ones who have decided this and announced this. It's been written out, and there's been a proclamation throughout the houses of the people of God that a fast day has been called. There is such a thing as private fasting, But there is also such a thing as corporate fasting, church fasting, national fasting. And this is a a corporate, a congregational, a national fast day that has been proclaimed. That the people of God together are to observe. Because the things that are concerning them, concern them as a congregation concern them as the people of God. What is a fast? Well, I hardly need to explain that. It's first occurrence, this word fast, this Hebrew word, its first occurrence seems to be in that portion of scripture that we read in 2 Samuel chapter 12. David's little child is very sick, and in fact it dies. But while it lives and hangs on to life, David prays. But he not only prays, he can't eat. He's so distressed. He's so burdened for the child. He's so earnest with God that the elders are bringing food, but he won't eat. He doesn't eat. They set it before him, but he refuses. He prays and cries unto God for the life of the child. The child dies. Uh, They bring him food after he goes to the house of God. And he eats again. And they're a bit surprised at that. The child's alive, he's not eating. The child dies, he's in sorrow at the death. And he is eating. And he's just saying, well, while the child was alive, there was hope. God is gracious. God hears prayer. I sought the Lord, and I couldn't eat then. So he used fasting to accompany his praying. And they always come together in the Bible. We can fast for our health. The athletes do that. But 
the people of God don't do it for their health. The people of God do it as a spiritual weapon, as a means of help. They accompany it with prayer. So it's fasting and prayer. It's the avoiding of food, and not only food, but the other ordinary pleasures of life, even the necessities of life, and certainly the pleasures of life, to accompany prayer, to assist in prayer, to focus the attention on prayer. So fasting is, in the Bible, inseparable from prayer. And it is to show our earnestness unto the Lord. And you see that in Ezra here, chapter 8, verse 21, uh, that we proclaimed a fast there, that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him. So you see here the purpose of the fast. It's self-affliction. That's what it is. Whenever you avoid food, avoid the pleasures that ordinarily indulge in, you afflict yourself. You're causing yourself that wee bit of hurt. And you're accompanying that with, with seeking God, with prayer. And then in verse 23, we fasted and besought our God. So you see both are coming together here. They're inseparable, the self-affliction and the fasting accompanying the seeking and praying to God. So it's self-imposed. It's breaking our ease, our comfort zones in the necessity of the Christian warfare. That it is important and is a scriptural necessity at times is seen in the life of Jesus because Jesus fasted and prayed. In fact, he had a 40-day fast, we know. Paul fasted and prayed. The early church fasted and prayed. Paul spoke about it on a couple of occasions about his fasts. For example, to the Corinthians, he said in chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, he's speaking about all the afflictions and the trials that he goes through in life, in distresses and stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults. Those are afflictions that he can't control. They're not self-inflicted. They're imposed upon him by the trials that are without. And we have these trials that are without. But he also self-imposed trials. He imposed afflictions upon himself. And thus he adds along that whole list, he says, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. They're religious exercises. They're self-imposed trials. Labors, the labors for God, the watchings, the keeping vigil, the prayer times, the fastings, the seasons, and obviously Paul did it quite a bit, as the early church did. In fasting, he uses the word in plural, as if it was a common thing, as common as his vigils and prayer times. Chapter 11 of the same epistle to the Corinthians, he says, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst. Now here is the hunger and thirst from without, because of the travels, because of the scarcity of water and food. He did face those times of hunger, but not only those times of hunger. He said, in hunger and thirst, and then he said, in fastings. Well, that's hunger too. 
and maybe to a certain extent thirst as well. But the difference is it's self-imposed. It's a religious fast. It's to give himself to prayer and to the warfare against Satan, which requires fasting. As our Lord told us, this king doesn't go out but by prayer and fasting. And that's another example where you have prayer and fasting together again. They are inseparable and both are, are important. And in that word to the Corinthians, he said, in fastings, and he has a little word, and you would nearly miss it, but you don't. Often. This is how we know that Paul did this often. Far more than we do it. And not a once a year thing. Fastings often. And the early church did, did do that. And, and they continue to do that. And, but we, we're not to be legalistic about this and just do it for the sake of it. No, it is a time whenever we become serious in the warfare and know that there's a really great need for the Lord to help us and to be with us. So in fastings, often, Paul says. Clearly it's connecting with watches and with vigils and with prayer. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. And that's the opposite of eat and sleep. Watch and pray, not eat and sleep. So this fast is proclaimed. The reason for it is they have to travel from Babylon and it's a massive distance and they have to travel as a massive caravan or a couple of caravans. Multitudes of people will be traveling through this great distance and they'll be carrying all their belongings and all their riches and their jewels, whatever they have. So they'll have their valuables, their substance, as Ezra calls it here. They'll have their little ones, their children. It's a long journey. And it's a dangerous journey. That's the thing. The route has its dangers. What does Ezra say here? The enemy in the way. That's the thing, you see. There's an enemy in the way. There's a danger. There are robbers. They're looking for this kind of thing. Caravans to attack. Roving groups of robbers to attack and to get all the goods and the substance. Maybe even to make, get, capture slaves and make slaves of the children. Maybe even get wives from the children. Different things. So there's always this danger of exposure and that long journey back to Babylon. Now, whenever they went to Babylon, they didn't have that danger because they were prisoners. They had the Babylonian army accompanying them. No robbers were going to interfere with the Babylonian army. So there was no danger of being robbed and attacked on the way to Babylon. And as well as that, they maybe didn't have very much substance either. But coming back, it's different. And Ezra says that he doesn't want to look to Babylon for its protection. He doesn't want to look to the soldiers of Babylon. We can't look to Babylon for our warfare. We can't look to Babylon to help us against the evil and the wickedness. How is Babylon going to help us? Babylon's the cause of very much of the trouble that the church faces. So they're not asking Babylon for help and for the aid and for the accompaniment. And he said there he was ashamed to ask them. He could have done it. That was a possibility. The king at this time was favorable and could have sent them soldiers. But Ezra said, I can't do it. I'm ashamed to ask the king. Verse 22, the hand of our God is upon us. That's what they told the king. This is what they, they confess, the people of God. We've got the Lord. His hand is with us. His hand is for them that are good and seek him. But his power is against all them that forsake him. So they have the Lord. And they've told the Babylonians, we have the Lord. The Lord's our keeper. The Lord's our help. 
The Lord's our deliverer. He recognized it's a spiritual warfare, and they confess to the Babylonians it's a spiritual warfare. Therefore, he, he's hardly going to ask, because he'll think in the back of their mind, well, we thought your God was mighty, and he's for you, and his power is upon you, and he's against all them who's going to rob you and be against you for evil. So, I mean, why are you asking us whenever your God's so mighty and so powerful? So he was ashamed to ask, because he was trusted in God, he was believing in the Lord, but he did recognize there's a spiritual warfare. There's an enemy in the way. He's talking about the robbers, but he also knows that there's more than robbers. There's a thing behind the robbers, the spiritual darkness, the wickedness, the kingdom of Satan. It's a spiritual warfare, and only God, at the end of the day, can deliver his people. And this is what Ezra believes. The enemy is such that we need the Lord. We need to pray and we need to seek him. And he'll be for us and he'll be against our enemies. That's what he says. And that's true. Ezra knows his Bible. Ezra knows what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. The Bible teaches that he delivers them from death and he protects them and hedges them. He keeps them alive in famine and he preserves them in trouble. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are ever open unto their cry. And he's against all those that do evil. So he just knows his Bible and that's just what he's confessing. He has to step out in faith. And he can't do that without prayer. Without special prayer. Without a season of prayer. And so having made that word to the king that he can't look to the king and to the politicians for help, he says we're going to have to look to God. We're going to have to look to the Lord and not to the godless enemies of truth itself. And we're like that, aren't we? We have things being imposed upon us. We're in days of wickedness. The enemy is in the way. The devil's a roaring lion going about whom he may devour. He's raising up politicians. He's raising up these things to uh, attack us and attack the church and attack the liberties of the gospel and to afflict the children of the people of God, as we know, in the education of the children. So much. And Satan has a hand in it all. And that's what we have to recognize. The enemy in the way. We know that the Secretary of State has done terrible things, instituting these things. That just shows the corruption of his own heart. And he's not a person really we can ask to help us, is it? Whenever he's imposing these things on us. And we're going to look very childish to go to him and beg. You know, we have a God in heaven. The Lord can intervene. We'll ask God. We'll not ask the Secretary of State. We'll ask God. And God can intervene. It's a spiritual warfare. We have to realize that there's someone else behind him pulling his strings. An enemy in the way. It's Satan. It's Satan. And we have to recognize this. The enemy. The great enemy. And the only one who can help us is the Lord. And that's why we pray. And that's why we are together here to pray. And to seek his face. As our Lord Jesus told us. This king doesn't come out. But by prayer and fasting. The devil has a direct hand in it. And it doesn't come out. But by prayer and fasting. And that's, that's why. We have to do this. As part of our weapons of our warfare. But you're not carnal. Not carnal. Now we can use some carnal things. In the service of God, no doubt to some extent, uh, protest and we have a placard and all of that. 
But the real weapons of our warfare are spiritual. The kind of weapons the world can't use. Prayer is the main one. And the word of God. An earnestness in prayer. An earnestness in the battle. An earnestness before God and seeking God. The kind of earnestness that is manifested by the self-affliction of fasting. So there's a genuine concern here when this fast is proclaimed by Ezra and the self-afflicted child. So they're before God. That's what he says there in verse 21, that we might afflict ourselves before our God. We're before God. Verse 23, we fasted and besought our God for this. So they're before God, they're God, they're seeking Him, they're calling upon Him, they're praying to Him. And what are they praying about? Well, He tells us there in the verse 21 that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of Him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. So that's, that's what it's about in that order. It's about a right way. Because that's what God wants to be sought for. He wants us to know the right way. There's a bad way. There's a wrong way. There's an evil way about things. The people of God have always to go in the right way. The way of the word. The way of God. The way of righteousness. The right way after all. The righteous way. The way of justice and truth. As well as mercy and and grace. Uh, And we, we have to seek the Lord that he keep us in the right way. That's first. That's major. What's the point in praying for your children and for your substance if you're not even in the right way? You have to be in the right way as, as parents and as, as those who are the people of God. And so we pray for a right way for us, that the Lord will put us in the right way and we'll be in the right path and we'll be able to do right things and we'll be able to walk justly in paths of truth and uprightness. So that ought to be a major concern to know God's will in the right way. The enemy's bad enough in the right way but what's it going to be like if we're in the wrong way and the enemies are, we're not going to have much hope are we? So we need to be in the right way and go the path the Lord would lead us. That's why we need the word to direct us all the time. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet a light unto my path. And so we have to go the way of the word even when it's beginning unpopular congregation. It is becoming unpopular to go in the way of the word. It definitely is. It's going to come a time maybe that we'll not even be able to get jobs in the word because we're walking in the ways of the Lord. We don't want you. We don't want you teaching in our school. You walk in the ways of the Lord. We don't want you treating our patients in our hospitals because you're walking in the ways of the Lord. You're not walking in the ways of the Lamb. You're not walking in the ways of the King and the Queen and the government that have brought in all these uh, laws of social equality and social justice, you know, whereby women don't have to have the burden of, you know, giving life to a baby if they don't want to. No, we we have to walk in the ways of of justice and righteousness. So it's about that. That the Lord will help us to keep on going in that right way. And the world won't force us off into the wrong direction and divert us. And that will have the courage and that the Lord will deliver us from all our enemies. But then there's a right way for our children too. You see, they're concerned about the children as they travel through this great 
foreign terrain where all the dangers are set. They're worried about their children. Of course they are. The biggest concern of any parents is, is their children. It's their major concern. Their substance is important, but it comes way, way after their children. It's the children first, and there's an attack on our children. That's the truth of the matter in the schools. This is an attack on our children. And, and well, later on it'll be on our substance, no doubt. But the priorities of the devil are the priorities of the people of God. Our children first, and he wants the children first too. And so there's an attack on the children. And we don't know how subtle that is. And we don't know how devious that is. And we don't really be aware how powerful that is. And what may be going on in our children that we have no idea of. In their minds and in their thoughts. Because they're being attacked by the devil. And we have to pray that our children will be kept. That their minds will be kept. That their hearts will be kept. And that they'll be in the way as well. As we go in. So there's prayer here for the children. A concern for the children. And this is part of our coming together. Concern for the Sabbath school. We're starting the new term. We're very concerned about the children. The young people as the new term commences. We like to start with the fast. The, the, the new work of God. The new term. And so we're doing that. Especially about our children. And now this, this thing that's happening in the schools. That the Lord will intervene. And deal with the wicked. Remove all these things. Of the enemy in the way against us. And then the substance. Our livelihood as I said. There will come a day whenever God's people will not even be able to work. Get their own income. Maybe not even be able to buy and sell. As the Bible talks about. You know the substance will be hit as well. The devil will hit our pockets. As well as our children. And then at the very last. Our own bodies. Our own lives. So the days are dark. And it's for this time that we have called to gather the congregation to pray for ourselves as a church, for our denomination, and for our nation at this hour of need. Just point out there, the end of the account there in our text, so we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. God always hears. He hears his people. He hears their cry. And he answers. He answers according to his will. And in his own time. So don't forget this part of it. He was entreated of us. Bless his name. Let's pray.